Well, what are we doing? For the next couple of weeks, what we're going to be doing, uh, since we finished our study in the book of Acts, just to kind of give you a preview, uh, for this week and next week, and perhaps the following, but at least for these two, we're going to be looking at how to maintain our spiritual edge. How to maintain our spiritual edge. How to maintain our spiritual passion. And uh, we'll be starting that this morning and spending this week and next week and possibly the next week. And then we're going to start our marriage series, about a six-week study in what the Bible says about marriage, and uh, kind of a, as a marriage checkup. So we'll do that. And then the plan, unless the Lord changes, and we're always open to the Lord changing our plans, and uh, we're going to study the book of Mark. So that's kind of what's, what's coming in the coming weeks. But for this morning, please open to the book of Mark, chapter 1, verses 21 through 35. Uh, that's the fa- first of about a dozen or more passages we're going to look at over the next two weeks about how to maintain our spiritual edge. How to maintain our spiritual edge. So, and there's a sermon note sheet in your bulletin if you care to use that. All right, let's bow together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the opportunity to be, to be together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Your children, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing here through these dedicated servants of yours. We thank you for our Savior who willingly died on Calvary's cross that we might have the hope of eternal life by putting our trust in him. Thank you that we have such a magnificent message to share with those around us. Thank you, Lord, that we have a message of hope for these times that seem so hopeless. Help us to both communicate that through our words, our continents, through our lives. Now, Father, guide us as we study your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Many years ago now, Kathy introduced me to a devotional writer by the name of Selwyn Hughes. I've mentioned to you before that one thing that we love to do is when we're in a city that has a half-price books or some kind of a a used bookstore, we always love to spend a fair amount of time looking at the uh, various books. Well, Kathy found a devotional by Selwyn Hughes, Hughes, and uh, she used it, shared it with me, and I thought, I really like this, so the next time we were at a used bookstore, I looked for my own uh, devotional by Selwyn Hughes and found one entitled Water for the Soul, Water for the Soul, and the, um, as I was reading through the very first section of the devotional, Selwyn Hughes shared a letter letter that he received from one of his readers. And the letter went this way. Over the past year or so, my Christian life has become stale. Insufferably so. 
I have lost the freshness and spontaneity I once knew. Can you say something that will help bring back the sparkle into my Christian experience? What is the remedy? And so Hughes mentioned that he thought about that and he thought about how what he would share with this person and with the rest of his readers about how to how do we get back that spiritual passion? How do we get back that, that, that uh, renew our love for God? And he came up with 12 principles. So uh, using his 12 principles as an outline for our study, I'm going to supplement with many other scripture and many other uh, uh, sources about these 12 principles. And so that's what we're going to be doing today and next week is looking at these 12 principles for spiritual renewal, 12 principles to renew my spiritual passion. The need, of course, is freshness, vitality. We all want to be vital in our Christian life. We don't want to get into that rut where we're just going through the motions, right? Day after day after day. We can even do good things and be going through the motions. We can be doing good things and yet going through the motions. So how do we get past that? How do we get beyond that? Uh, the reality is that for many of us, we hit patches where we're stale, it seems, in our spiritual life, where there's a deadness. It's a, it becomes a killing routine instead of a life-giving routine. Uh, even our time with God becomes a killing routine instead of a life-giving routine. And... Um, we don't really sense God's presence. I don't want any show of hands, but I would be willing to, to bet that most of us have gone through that. Maybe somebody's going through that right now. The caution, as we go through these 12 principles, is that spiritual vitality doesn't mean exemption from trials and difficulties. In fact, sometimes for God to spark our spiritual vitality, he brings troubles and difficulties into our lives. To spark our freshness, to spark our vitality. So that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be sharing these 12 principles uh, as my outline, and then I'm going to su supplement it with a lot of other things. The first principle that he deals with is he says to spark our spiritual vitality, we need to sign up for the fall festival. <laughs> no, no, that's, that wasn't one. <laughs> I just kind of threw that in, wanted to have a little fun. Okay, no, the first, the first is this. We must, if we're going to spark our spiritual vitality, we must establish a daily time with God in order to replenish our spiritual resources. We must establish a daily time with God in order to replenish our spiritual resources. Now what I've done is I've taken each of his, his principles and turned it into a question that we can ask ourselves. So the question that comes out of principle number one is this. Do I have a regular daily time with God where I replenish my spiritual resources? Do I have a regular daily time with God where I replenish my spiritual resources? 
I have a, I think I've mentioned to you many times, I love cartoons, and I didn't have a chance to have this put on, a, on the projector, but it shows two praying mantises talking to each other. And the one says to the other, sure, everyone thinks we're praying, but do any of us actually make the time for it? <laughs> and uh, I think that's, that's the way. You know, we, we want to be spending that time with God. We want to have that time in prayer and Bible reading. We want to, uh, that, that freshness in our lives. But so many times we feel like, like everything crowds it out. Everything crowds it out, and, and we find out, we find that we come to the end of the day, and another day went by and we didn't start. Another day went by and we didn't spend uh, that time with God. It doesn't have to be long, it doesn't have to be hours with God. Um, I, I had to laugh, one of, uh, one of my fellow students uh, at college uh, had wanted an office, a, a, a student wide office. And he, one of his tenets was, I will spend 10% of every day in prayer, 2.4 hours every day in prayer. But yeah, right. I never did find out whether he did that or not. But I'm not talking about hours. It doesn't have to be hours. But there should be some time in every one of our days that we spend with God uh, in reading his word in praying back his word to him, in praying for the people around us and the needs of the people around us. We ought to have that time that we establish that, that there will be circumstances where we can't do it, but for the most part, we find ourselves spending that time with God. Whatever, Whether it's we have a track that you can get on the welcome desk called Seven Minutes with God, if you have seven minutes in the morning, before the days of Couric coffee makers, I used to be able to say, by the time your coffee is brewed and ready for you to drink, you, you will have you, the seven minutes that you need to spend with God. Well, now with the Couric, that went out the window. But, uh, so, but all kidding aside, this is, this is a serious issue that we do take time with God. We do. Whatever time we can, we do take time with Him. I'd like to, <clears throat> I'd like to illustrate it this way. In Gordon MacDonald's book, Ordering Your Private World, he shares the story of Howard Rutledge, a United States Air Force pilot who was shot down over North Vietnam during the early stages of the Vietnamese War. He spent several miserable years, I'm, I'm quoting now from the book, he spent several miserable years in the hands of his captors before being released at the war's conclusion. McDonald says, I have Rutledge's book in the presence of mine enemies in my library. Though many years old, it is a favorite. I appreciate Rutledge's openness in describing the inner resources or lack of them, which he drew in those arduous days when life seemed so intolerable. These are the words of Howard Rutledge. During those longer periods of enforced reflection, it became so much easier to separate the important from the, important from the trivial, the worthwhile from the waste. For example, in the past, I usually worked or played hard on Sundays and had no time for church. 
For years, my, his wife, Phyllis, had encouraged me to join the family at church. She never nagged or scolded. She just kept hoping. But I was too busy, too preoccupied to spend one or two short hours a week thinking about the really important things. Now the sights and sounds and smells of death were all around me. My hunger for spiritual food soon outdid my hunger for a steak. Now I wanted to know about that part of me that will never die. Now I wanted to talk about God and Christ in the church. But in heartbreak, the name POWs gave their prison camp, solitary confinement, there was no pastor, no Sunday school teacher, no Bible, no hymn book, no community of believers to guide and sustain me. I had completely neglected the spiritual dimension of my life. It took prison to show, show me how empty life is without God. And then McDonald comments, it took the pressure of a POW camp to show Rutledge that there was a center to his private world that he had been neglecting virtually all of his life. We need to establish a daily time with God in order to replenish our spiritual resources. I've been reading, uh, again, it seems, I can't help but find new devotionals all the time. And there's one by a 17th century priest named Fenelon. Are you anybody familiar with Fenelon, F-E-N-E-L-O-N? Um, it actually was Kathy's, and she passed it on to me. And this is the 17th century, folks, and this is what Fenelon says. Take care, he, he is writing to various people under his spiritual care, and he says, take care to redeem some brief time from the world for reading and prayer. Try to rescue half an hour morning and evening. You must learn, too, to make good use of spare moments. One raises one's heart for an instant to God and renews one's strength for further duties. Take them, this is a lady he's writing to, take them, madam, half an hour in the morning and another half hour in the afternoon, and I love what he says next, to repair the inroads which the world makes. Isn't that good? The world's making inroads into your life and my life every day. And Fenelon is uh, recommending to this lady that she take that time with God. He's, he suggests a half hour in the morning and a half hour in the evening to repair the inroads which the world makes and in the course of the day, he goes on, make use of such thoughts as touch you most to renew yourself in the presence of God. That's where also uh, Selwyn Hughes is beginning. That is the place we always begin. I remember that many of our profs in seminary would share that they would often have students coming to them and the students would say, I, the, the very things we're talking about, my life feels stale, I don't feel the presence of God, I'm here at seminary, I'm learning all this great theology, I'm learning all this great Bible, I'm learning all these great tools to help me to study the Bible, and yet I feel empty. I feel stale, I don't feel fresh. 
And to a, to a person, the professor said the first question that they ever ask anybody who says that to them, any student who comes to them, is do you spend any time with God? Not, not, not reading your history chapter or your theology chapter for the day, but do you take any time to be alone with God, your seminary student? And usually the answer comes back, no, I don't have time. Well, we got to have time, folks. we got to have time to repair the inroads the world makes into our lives, our hearts each day. We've got to have time to spend with God. You all know that I'm quite enamored with Eugene Peterson. And so he said recently, in fact, it was just yesterday, his reading for yesterday. You know, as I'm, I'm doing my own reading in the morning in my Bible study, in my, my Bible reading and prayer and reading through these devotionals, it is interesting to me how many times God surfaces one just the moment that I need it. And but if you're a teacher, look for that. If you're a teacher, if you teach kids or you teach youth or teach adults, start early in the week with your lesson and look for the things that God's going to bring to illustrate what you're trying to teach. Well, just yesterday morning, I'm reading in Peterson and he says this, it is both natural and appropriate to be excited about a person's conversion. It is the most significant event in life to be born anew, to be a new creature in Christ, but that significance and the excitement accompanying it do not excuse ignorance and indifference to the complex process of growth into which every Christian is launched via the new birth. What he's saying is that we as Christians and we as churches tend to focus on the event of conversion. We tend to focus on the, the putting faith in Christ, which is important, and he's making sure to say that that's important, but he said so many churches avoid doing the hard work of helping Christians to grow. You see, that's what it's about. It's not just about faith in Christ. That's where it begins. That's the beginning. After that, you and I need to grow. Well, Peterson goes on to say, because growth involves so much so much detail, so much time, so much discipline and patience, it is common to dismiss it and turn our attention to something we can get a quick handle on, the conversion event. Evangelism crowds spirituality off the agenda, but having babies is not a vocation, parenting is. It is easier, of course, to have babies. But a church that refuses or neglects the long, intricate, hard work of guiding its newborn creatures into adulthood is being negligent of most of what is in Scripture. In other words, if a church spends all of its time talking about the conversion experience, trying to get people to be saved, trying to get people to be saved week after week after week after week, 35 courses of just as I am. Instead of teaching people how to grow, they're avoiding the most important job they have. By the grace of God, we're trying not to avoid that here. 
we're trying to spend, and sometimes we're criticized for it, we're trying to spend our time helping Christians to grow, helping Christians to grow in your faith, in their faith. So there's a caution here. Well, what if we neglect spiritual disciplines? Let me, let me just quickly go over a couple of things that happened. Gordon McDonald pointed these out, uh, and uh, uh, th- they're really good. What's the cost if I neglect the spiritual disciplines? What's the cost? Well, he says, we'll never learn to enjoy the eternal and infinite perspective on reality that we were created to have. We'll lack a vital life-giving friendship with Christ. We'll lose the fear of accountability to God. We'll lose the awareness of our real size in comparison to the Creator. You can't read the Word of God day after day. And right now, I'm stuck. Oh, excuse me. I'm, I'm enjoying the prophets. Do you ever get stuck in the prophets? Oh, man, oh, man. Lord, make an end. Uh, but if there's anything the prophets show you, it shows you how big God is and how little we are. And you learn to, to know of a glorious and majestic God who has everything under control. You know what? This world's not out of control. It seems it, but God's leading it toward an end that he has foreordained. Even so, come Lord Jesus. I think that ought to be on our lips a lot these days. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Well, we will lose the awareness of our real size in comparison to the Creator. Uh, The fifth thing that we neglecting spiritual disciplines, uh, the cost will be we will forget our specialness and value before God as his sons and daughters. Number six, we will have little reserve or resolve for crisis moments, which will come, by the way, such as failure, humiliation, suffering, the death of a loved one, or loneliness. We'll lose those things if we don't spend time with God. Now there's, there's a caution. Let me, let me give you a caution real quickly here. Oswald Chambers points this out, another devotional writer. Here we go. He points this out. The, the, uh, the caution about what we may call quiet time, this time that I'm talking about, he says it can become a habit. These are his words. Your God may be your little Christian habit, the habit of prayer at stated times, or the habit of Bible reading. Watch how your father will upset those times if you begin to worship your habit instead of what the habit symbolizes. I can't do that just now. I'm praying. It's my hour with God. No, Chambers says, it's your hour with your habit. So the question we ask ourselves, am I I meeting a person or a habit Is this an exercise to please a demanding God or to make myself feel virtuous? Or is it a chance to spend time with, to to, uh, speak with, to encounter the living God? That's what it is. It's a chance to speak with, to encounter, to hear from in the Word of God. The living God. The living God. 
Another caution is this can become legalistic in our lives. And another caution, and this is, this is an important one, I hope that you won't miss this one, and that is this, that it can be mistaken for spiritual growth. You see, time spent with God is not the end, it's the means to the end. The end is obedience. The end for your life and the end for my life, the, the, the goal of spending this time with God, the goal of spending some time reading the Word of God, the goal of communicating back God's Word to Him, the goal of doing that is obedience to His Word. Obedience to His Word. Well, there are a couple of good tools that you can use for that, that make it real easy. Don't, don't you like when they make it easy for us? Publishers have come up with some great Bibles that you can use that divide the, the uh, Bible into 365 or some 366 readings. And uh, some of them have like an, an Old Testament reading, a New Testament reading, as well as a proverb and a psalm for each day and divide it up so it can be done in just a few minutes. And uh, uh, you, that's, that's one way to do it. One of them is called the One-Year Bible. And then there's another one called the One-Year Study Bible, which has some uh, devotional notes along with it. Uh, I have used with great uh, uh, profit the Men's Devotional Bible. Uh, now, ladies, I think there's a Women's Devotional Bible. I know there is. So there's a men's devotional Bible, a women's devotional Bible. Uh, there's the discipleship journal book at a time Bible reading plan, which you can get just by going to navigators.org and put in a book at a time Bible reading plan. Those, the, it divides the, the, the good thing about that particular plan is it only has 25 readings a month. Now, how many days are in a month usually? Okay, so 30-ish, right? So if you have 25 readings a month, what do you have for five days? Time off! Or time to catch up! Isn't that awesome? So they have 25 readings a month. Now, the downside to that is, if it's only 25 readings a month, every reading is just a little longer. So, but you have that time to, to catch up. So those, those are just some plans you might use. What should be a part? <coughs> when should you do this? Let me, let me just throw out a couple of real quick practical things. Uh, morning, evening, during the day. Well, the, the question for each one of us is, what's the most practical and effective for us? When do I have time? Do I, can I take time in the morning? Uh, is there a time during the day? Can I take time in the evening? Uh, and it's going to vary. It's going to vary according to your job. It's going to vary according to whether you have children or not. It's going to vary according to whether you have babies or not. Right? So don't, don't be legalistic about it. Give yourself grace. You know, there's nothing that says we have to read through the Bible in one year. Can, can it be two years, do you think? Or would God frown on that? Oh my goodness, Joe took two years. I'm so ashamed of him. He even went to seminary. Uh, <laughs> you can take as much time as you have. 
but choose the, the time that works best for in the rhythms of your life. What should you include? Well, there should be, obviously, we've been talking a lot about reading Scripture, but we also should meditate on Scripture, but that's principle 10, and we're surely not getting to it today. Uh, so that's principle 10, which we will get to. Um, we want to pray. We, we want to pray in two ways, and, and this is so important. We want to pray in two ways. Number one, this is the thing we never seem to do, and that is when you have a conversation with somebody, they say something, and you listen, and then you say something, and they listen. Well, when you're reading the Word of God, what is God doing? He is speaking to you and speaking to me. Now, what we generally do is we read the Word of God. God is speaking to us, and then we rip our prayer book out of our prayer book our prayer list uh, out of the scripture and we start praying to God what's on our minds. Is that communication? It's not. It's not communication. That's a truncated kind of communication. When we read the word of God, then we pray back the word of God. That's, that's exciting, isn't it? We read the word of God, he speaks to us in the word of God, and we pray back what he has spoken to us about. Then it's time to pull out the prayer list. Then it's time to get out the prayer list and go down. Because surely we need to pray for uh, people we know. We need to pray for our families. We need to, to pray for our co-workers. We need to pray for our neighbors. Uh, and surely we, we should pray a prayer list. But it should start with, prayer should start first with praying back to God what he's told us in his word. And then go to our list. So, decide on the amount of time you have. Vary your routine. Some people say, well, I, I, I guess if I'm going to pray, I need to be kneeling. Do you know in the scripture there are all kinds of postures for prayer? In the scripture, there are some people that you, you read, they stand up to pray. Oh my goodness, really? They stand up? Uh, some people raise their hands to pray. So there are all kinds of uh, uh, kneeling is one posture so there are uh, different postures vary it so you, you don't get bored with it um, read your Bible to hear what God is saying to you learn to listen to God speak to him about what he's speaking to you about and then bring your prayer requests to him the benefits of taking this time with God, establishing a daily time with God in order to replenish our spiritual resources is that it invigorates and renews us spiritually and it gives us spiritual food to draw from for the challenges of the day. It gives us spiritual food to draw from for the challenges of the day. Well, as I say, there's... there. there there's a copy of this tract out on the welcome desk. It's called Seven Minutes with God. Uh, I recommend it to you if you've never uh, looked at it. Uh, it would be helpful in doing what we're talking about. All right, that's the first principle. Well, we'll at least get through two, maybe three this morning. Okay, the second principle, the second principle is this. Determined to forgive Everyone who hurts us and refuse to nurse a grudge. 
The second principle is determined to forgive everyone who hurts us and refuse to nurse a grudge. The scripture for that is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 32. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 32. And I just realized I forgot to read the scripture part of principle 1. Let me just tell you about it. In Mark chapter 1, that goes along with principle number 1, what we are pointing out is that Jesus had a busy day of teaching. Jesus went to Peter's house and healed his mother-in-law of a fever, a high fever. Uh, Jesus healed everybody who came to the door, and hour after hour after hour, people came to the door to be healed. People came to the door to have demons cast out. And you know what the next verses say in Scripture? It said, after a day like that, Jesus got up a great while before morning and went out to a solitary place to pray. If the Son of God needed that time with his Father, we need that time with God. All right, thus endeth the principle one. Now, let's look at Ephesians. Let's look at Ephesians, the scripture that goes with principle number two, determined to forgive everyone who hurts us uh, and refuse to nurse a grudge. Uh, in Ephesians chapter four, Ephesians chapter four, starting at verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no more, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. The second principle for spiritual freshness renewal is to determine to forgive everyone who hurts us and refuse to nurse a grudge. The, I turned that into this question that we could ask ourselves. Is there someone I need to forgive? Am I holding a grudge against someone? One writer, one doctor, excuse me, that Hughes quoted said this, grudges put the whole 
physical and mental system on a war basis instead of a peace basis. That's an interesting way to say it. Grudges put the whole physical and mental system on a war basis instead of a peace basis. Another doctor that Hughes quotes says this, I often tell patients they cannot afford to carry grudges or maintain hates. Such things can make them ill and tire them out. I once saw a man kill himself inch by inch simply by thinking of nothing but hatred for a relative who had sued him. Within a year or two, he was dead. Holding grudges, being unforgiving to others is not only wrong biblically, but it can put such a strain on our own emotions, put a strain on our own physical health. Sometimes we use grudges and resentments to feel sorry for ourselves. Sometimes we use grudges and resentments to feel sorry for ourselves. It's interesting when you do a study of what the scripture has to say about offenses. Let me give you a couple real quickly. Psalm chapter, or excuse me, Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 11 says this. A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. The Bible Knowledge Commentary comments this way. A prudent, patient man is not easily upset by people who offend him. In fact, he overlooks offenses, knowing that to harbor resentment or attempt revenge only leads to more trouble. Overlooking them is his glory. That is, it is honorable. There's a writer who, name of Lewis Meads, who wrote an article, Forgiveness, the Power to Change the Past. I believe you can find it by Googling that phrase, Forgiveness, the Power to Change the Past. I recommend it to you. It's a really good article about forgiveness. It's not the last word on forgiveness, because what? The Bible's the last word on forgiveness. But it's a really good article. He said this, and, and I, I've, I've thought about this so many times, and it comes to my mind so many times. He said, for most offenses against us, for most offenses against us, a little spiritual generosity is all that's necessary. Don't you like that? A little spiritual generosity. All we need to do is to offer a little spiritual ge generosity to the people around us for most of the ways that we are offended, whether, we, whether it is a real offense, it meant to be an offense, or whether it's a perceived offense on our part, all we need to do is to expend a little spiritual generosity. Scripture says, a man's wisdom gives him patience. It's his glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs 12, 16 a fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. Proverbs 17, 9, He who covers over an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Commentary says this, Covering over an offense is an evidence of love and therefore promotes love. I like that. We ought to be difficult people to offend. 
we ought to be difficult people to offend. Proverbs 10, 12, hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers over all wrongs. Colossians 3, 12 to 14, so, cho so chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Now these are the clothes God designed for you. You know, we go to designer clothes and we, we find all kinds of designer tops and shorts and whatever else. I wouldn't know. Uh, but my body was not made for designer clothes. Uh, that is for sure. <laughs> so think about this. This is what God's designer clothes is for you and for me. God picked this out for us. Compassion. Kindness. Humility. Quiet strength. Discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the Master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic, all-purpose garment. Don't you like that? By the way, that was the message translation. Put on love. It's the basic, all-purpose garment. It's the one thing that you can wear to any party. It's the one thing you can wear to any uh, event is love. So, if we do need to forgive, how do we forgive? Let me, let me uh, share a couple thoughts about forgiveness. Number one, we admit our hurt or our anger or our bitterness. Number two, we ask God for his grace and help. Number three, we forgive by an act of the will. It doesn't mean that we erase all recall. That would be impossible other than a brain injury to erase all recall of what a person has done for us. Some, some of the hurts are deep. Some of the hurts, some of the offenses are deep, not just those ones that need spiritual generosity. So we have to forgive as an act of the will. What does that mean? It means we forego the right to strike back. We forego the right to strike back. Number five, we replace feelings of resentment and anger with goodwill, seeking the other person's good, not their harm. All that means is this. You can't undo what was done to you. But you can get to the point by God's grace and the help of the Holy Spirit in your life and my life, you can get to the point where you can separate the person from the, the offense. And when you look at them, you no longer look at the, see the offense first. You see the forgiveness of Christ and that clothing of love that's always appropriate. Finally, replace feelings of resentment and anger with good will, seeking their good, not harm, and at an appropriate time, if necessary and conceivable, those are important, if necessary and conceivable, take steps to start over to restore good relations. Forgiving is not forgetting, excusing or smoothing a wrong over. 
It doesn't mean saying that the other person wasn't wrong. It doesn't mean the other person shouldn't suffer the consequences of their actions. So we need to ask ourselves, is there someone I need to forgive? We can object to, to forgiveness by saying it's not fair, but forgiveness is a better way than fairness. Revenge never evens the score. And forgiveness brings fairness. Lewis Meads uh, makes these points. Forgiveness brings fairness to the forgiver and releases them from the past. So two questions to ask ourselves on this road to spiritual renewal. Number one, do I have a regular daily time with God where I replenish my spiritual resources? Number two, is there someone I need to forgive? Am I holding a grudge? Let's bow in prayer. Lord God, we all want that vitality and freshness in our walk with you. I realize that we endure different things, each of us, in our lives. We have different challenges to overcome. I realize that we have a rhythm to our lives that sometimes we feel far from you. But Father, if we will continue to seek you out daily, if we will continue to forgive those who have offended us and hurt us, you will renew that vitality in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.